So hello and welcome to the Expat Pod. My name is James, your host, and today I'm joined by Victoria, who is my old colleague from Polestar, who uh, got in contact when I was, we both used to work with her, and she very kindly agreed to be on this podcast and share her experience of, of living abroad. So Victoria, if you would like to give a quick introduction of where you're from and where you live. Hi, James. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I've been excited about this opportunity for quite a while now. Um I have been living in the UK for 10 years. I'm originally from Russia. I was born and raised in Moscow. Um, and during my time in the UK, I've developed a great career as a marketer, but I also have been almost deported and I've received a personal pardon from Theresa May. There's definitely something to get into later on then. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you want to, of course. Yeah, yeah, I'm open book, so. Great, well, we'll get into the podcast then. So hello, welcome to session one of the podcast. A lot of getting there. So Victoria, you've mentioned you obviously came from Russia. Um, you've been here for 10 years now. What was it like when you first, well, what did you need to do in terms of leaving? What was the reason for, for coming to the UK? Well, I guess for disclosure, it just would be good to say that I've actually never planned to move to the UK. Um, I was quite happy in Moscow. I had a really good job. I've just finished university. And my first exposure to working with English-speaking people were during my time uh, with Cirque du Soleil. And um, once my contract with them had been finished, I started looking for uh, companies that would be international companies because it was perceived that they would pay more money uh, whilst in Moscow. And it just appeared that my English language wasn't good enough. Um, and so my mom offered me an opportunity to come to the UK and learn English language. So I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And so in 2011, I have arrived to the Manchester airport and got picked up by a taxi driver and got taken to Leeds, where my journey with uh, Leeds English Language School has started. And then during my uh, six months, uh, being in the UK and learning uh, English, I was traveling every single Friday on Megabus to London to see my friends, and then I would go back on Sunday. Um, and during that time, I met my ex-husband, uh, with whom I fall in love, and we've decided that we want to be together. And we started application process for me to come and stay in the UK, because at that point, he was more established in the UK. He had a job whilst... I didn't really have much to lose. So yeah, we started a spouse application. And in 2013, 10 years ago, I came to the UK on a permanent basis and started looking for a job. <laughs> wow. So the so your your entry in this was, you said, on the spouse visa. What was the process like in terms of getting that? Did you have to obviously go back home to then come back in again? Yeah, it was uh, painfully romantic. My ex-husband and I decided to get married. Uh, we got married in Moscow because I felt very strongly about him being introduced to Russian culture, to get to know my parents, to get to know my friends. And he was received very well, even though he didn't speak any Russian at all. Um, he's British. But we got married and spent a wonderful honeymoon in St. Petersburg. And then we applied for the spouse visa whilst he was in the UK, I was in Moscow, and it took us a year, a whole year to go through the process to get the visa. And we we did like, obviously the application process was hideous. It was like about, I don't know, 200, 300 pages uh, that I had to submit for the application, including proof that we actually in the real relationships. So I had to download the WhatsApp chats, um, the recording of uh, Skype chats that we had just to prove that we've been having regular contacts. And then, yeah, it was successful. And so in, um, in June, uh, I have arrived to the UK. Obviously, you're not no, no, with your ex-husband. Well, you wouldn't call me ex-husband, I assume. Um, when when that when you went for that period, did you have to then change a visa or look for a different kind of settlement status, or was it because you'd already been accepted, you were fine? 
no, so with visa application, uh, we went through two years uh, first pass application, uh, then it's another two years uh, of the second term spouse application. And then essentially you can apply for indefinitely to remain and then you can apply for citizenship. Um, me and my act have been together eight years. Um, it is unfortunate it didn't work out, um, but it was worth it. And I do feel like UK is my proper second home now. Of course. So you were settled then or indefinite resident by the time that happened, which obviously is a great shame. And yeah, so I have, um, I have a, a dual nationality, which is quite interesting fact that I don't know if many people know, because one of my best friends, she actually lives in Germany. And um, she is now going through the citizenship application. But in Germany, you have to abandon your uh, other citizenship if you want to become a German. Whereas in the UK, you don't have to do it. Which is very smart. <laughs> because one of the reasons that I've been told and uh, the United Kingdom does that is that if I were to break a law, like very significantly, I were to break the law, United Kingdom will release me of my citizenship and send me back to Russia, <laughs> which is which is which is quite clever because if you are not very good citizenship, why should taxpayers you know pay for your being in the English prison? Like go back to you know where you came from. <laughs> before you moved, or before you obviously and kind of came over. You obviously came for the course in Leeds. Did that provide you with accommodation or did you have to find that before you started your six-month placement? Yeah, no, everything had to be found, um, but I had a person who helped me with all of this. Obviously, like the additional money were paid, um, but it was great. I stayed at the student accommodation, which is nothing like the student accommodation in Russia. So I was like, wow, okay, this is, this is posh. Um, and I guess you asked me about my first impression um, of the UK and I found it been incredibly friendly country uh, with lots of international people, but everyone was very kind to me. And actually on the first day of me arriving to Leeds, I got for I went for a walk because I wanted to have some food. So I was looking for shopping and I got lost on my way back. <laughs> and uh, yeah, some of the guys just helped me out to find my way back it was it was very strange because they were obviously asking me where I stayed and I was like well it's the student accommodation like what do you mean to say at that point I didn't realize how postcodes uh important in the United Kingdom in in Moscow everything um based on the street um rather than the postcode postcode doesn't actually have such a value like it has in the UK and uh I didn't realize that so but I found my way back, uh, which was great. And I never had any issues in the UK. I've listened to some of your podcasts and I've noticed a lot of uh, experts, they share the feeling um, of making friends mainly with expats like them, which is not really a story with me. All my best friends that are British. Um, I have I have only few that are international friends. Um, but... I guess when I moved to the UK permanently, I was very adamant to make sure that I do the best to be accepted by British people um, because it was my choice. So I kind of felt like it was my responsibility. So for the first five years, I didn't speak any Russian language unless it was with mum. I didn't read anything in Russian. I didn't uh, watch any Russian movies. Everything was in English, uh, just to make sure I can feel the culture as much as as possible. Um, and I always worked in British companies up until uh, Warburg and then Polestar lately. And is there anything else you needed to kind of do before you moved, obviously, to the UK? Obviously, you came before to get the English language to a, to a level you needed to, to work. You obviously had accommodation with your ex-husband in terms of, I assumed you went to live with him. So that was a an easy thing to not have to worry about. Um, 
uh, the visa situation you obviously you've talked about before but was there anything else you needed to kind of work out before moving away from the perspective of moving from moscow to the uk um the step itself was it apart from trying to decide what i'm gonna bring with you <laughs> but so that was like the most difficult part and actually even though I didn't necessarily have to sort out the accommodation before I came to UK, psychologically, in a way, it was difficult for me because in Moscow, I had my own apartment. I've never rented in my life and I don't want to come across as a like um, spoiled person, but I had a very good setting in Moscow. I had a really good job. Uh, my mom and dad are not poor. And I, I've i never rented in my life. And so when I came to stay with my ex-husband, uh, naturally his mom and dad said, well, you can't stay in our house. You need to start renting. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, this is, this is new. Um, but we found a place, we rented, and then we've bought a house, then another house. Um, so it was just about adapting to kind of savings and um, learning how, you know, to be independent um, in a kind of like, yeah, different country environment. But, um, and actually like the first six months were very difficult to adjust. Um, I remember we had our first argument because I felt like very hopeless. I couldn't find a job. I was going from interview to interview. Uh, and I felt like the companies who were interviewing me, they couldn't relate to my experience that I had in Moscow. So whatever I would say didn't really count. And I was... I was just getting so frustrated. I was like, but I have all this great experience because I've graduated as a programmer. I had a great marketing experience. I worked with international people. And I'm like, how do you not how do you not see it? <laughs> um so that was that was frustrating. And then of course the pressure were building up because we were living in our own place. We only had one salary at that point, which was his. And we wanted to have this, you know, we were finally together. We wanted to have this honeymoon experience. We wanted to get out. We want to drink. We want to party and we couldn't afford it. And I think uh, that kind of pressure builds up a little bit. And at some point, I just bought a ticket back to Moscow. So I'm not coming back. <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> and now. Uh... And I and I flew back to Moscow, um, and I spent a weekend there. And with Spike, he's like, "Come on, we we can go through this. Like, we can do." And I was like, "Okay, deep breath." <laughs> and I went back, um, and we made it work. I guess uh, is a lot of that down to um, when when we get emotional, we tend to get emotional in our first languages, and obviously you have a different first language to your husband articulating arguments when your emotions are higher and most difficult. So was was it was uh, a conflict does communi uh, communication a big part of that as well? Yeah, I think now looking back, I think it was. Um, and I think you, you're totally right in what you're saying. When you feel emotions and you're trying to explain them, it's very difficult, especially when you don't have that experience. I mean... The amount of adjectives and things that would describe emotions in English for me is still very limited. It's not my speciality, even though I'm in marketing. Ten years ago, it, it was shockingly bad. <laughs> so, apart from like, I'm angry, I'm hungry, I love you, I hate you. I really didn't know much else. And I was trying to swear in Russian because swearing Russian and Russian language is like two different languages. Like you can, it's so fast. And yeah, I say, I think, I think it was just frustration. I mean, he was very supportive. His family were amazing, especially his mom. She's, she just meant the world for me, but it's frustration. I'm a very strong, independent person. And 
not being able to contribute to the living standards that I'm so used to. Yeah, I think I think it just kind of was tricky. Obviously, you've uh, achieved so many great things in your career now because you're uh, uh, flourishing. It would seem you've come a long way in those ten years, which is great. Thank you. Yeah, it it, it took me it took me about five years to get to the same level that I was in Moscow. Um, but that five years were amazing for me from career perspective. Um, my first job was at property estate, a company called Seagro. Um, Alex Wozicki, uh, took a risk by hiring me as a marketing assistant. And I remember having this interview. And then once I was accepted on a contract, he said, you were very close for not getting this job. I was like, oh, what did I do? He's like, you were very confident. <laughs> and I was like, I thought that would be like a good thing. Uh, he's like, no, I understood it because his um, his wife was from uh, Eastern Europe as well. And he's like, I knew that is part of your cultural character. It's not you trying to be rude. But that comment of being rude kind of being carried on with me for a very, very long time. Um, and a lot of people would say, Victoria is very hardworking. She's very passionate about what she does. She's always looking for innovations, but she's very direct. And I'm like, I'm not direct, I'm effective. Like, come on, guys. It's like good qualities to have in certain situations. Yeah, so, but I got to learn, you know, like first six months, again, being in the UK, I was continuously told that I have to say please and thank you. And I could understand that that, at that point I was still translating things in a very direct way. And so if I wouldn't use please or thank you in Russian sentence, I couldn't understand why should I do it in British settings. And I was like, well, if I'm asking you to pass me a salt, like it's a, it's a question. You, you either can pass me the salt or you cannot. So when you do, I'll say, thank you very much, James, for passing me the salt. But at the beginning, I was like, why should I say please? Um, so it was, yeah, it, it took me time to get used to it. And then, uh, my marketing assistant job with Sigro had to come to an end for different reasons. And I joined Run Group, um, which is one of the largest casino chains in the UK from retail perspective. And I joined them as a, uh, CRM executive. And that's when I think my proper career development started. I loved it because that job provides me with the ability to use my analytical skills from programming perspective. I would build different HTML uh, emails and I would test different things with them. I would um, think about personalization, but I would also work with data segmentation and like a psychology of trying to predict how the person would react on email that I would send to them. And during that time, um, I've been doing some research. My ex-husband was traveling a lot to the uh, to Europe. And I was like, well, I'm on a visa, but I want to travel with him. Like, why should every time I want to go to Europe, I have to apply for a separate visa? Because that's the thing, even though UK was part of EU at that point, if you are on the UK visa, that doesn't mean that you're allowed to go to yeah, it's not Schengen, is it? Exactly. So every time I would need to go to travel, I would have to apply for the visa, which means all this really cool deals, you know, £100 for return tickets and accommodation to Italy. It just wasn't available for me. And somehow I've been doing research and I found that there is this thing that you can apply for. It's called EU uh, ID card. And I kind of read through documentation. Everything sounded fine. And so I have applied. And <laughs> a few months later, I'm receiving rejection. And they explain why that card has been rejected. And the reasons were that in, in order for me to apply, my other half would have to spend significant time in, in Europe. And I would be able then to travel with him or like half of his business, for example, has to be based in Europe. So just because... He's a frequent traveler, doesn't really mean that I have the right to apply. But what you also did, it triggered in the system that I'm in the UK illegally. 
even though I have given obviously them my passport, they had a copy of my old documents, but somehow, somewhere, a tick box hasn't been ticked. And so my workplace starts receiving these letters basically saying, you're at risk of being fined because you employed illegal immigrant. And there was no return, there was no return phone number that I was able to call and basically say, I, I have the visa, like, look at this. Um, and that was like one of the most stressful time ever because no one was at fault. Technically, I had the documents, but at my work, for example, no one had a legal personnel that would say, yeah, that's fine. We're going to take this risk. We're going to keep Victoria being employed with us. They're like, we don't want to risk it. Like, we would rather lose you because we're unsure. Uh, or you kind of need to sort this out. Yeah, no matter how many calls I was trying to make, no matter how many times I was trying to contact home office, no one would respond. They would all just say, well, you have the visit, so you're okay. And I'm like, but it's not okay for my workplace. Like, it's still triggering some sort of alert. Like, I don't I don't really know what to do with it. And um, that's when we reached out to Theresa May. I was based in Maidenhead. We used to live in Maidenhead. And we have reached out to her personal assistant. We explained the situation. And I don't know how, I don't know why, but they contacted the home office, explained the situation. And within a few hours, I received an official home office letter saying, you are okay to stay in the UK. Your documents are fine. Is that afraid on your wall? Oh my God, that was such a relief. Um, and I just kept that letter for as long as I could next to me because every time I would cross the border at the border control, the alert would still like pop up. Yeah, and people would still stop me and say like, hold on a second. There is like a red flag next to your name. I was like, right, again. <laughs> um, and I had like, I was traveling a lot because my, my granddad, uh, he lives in Berlin. So I would go to Germany on a frequent basis and the whole family would meet up there. So I'm not a new person to the border control um, people sitting there thinking, I haven't done anything wrong. Please, can you like let me through? <laughs> That's uh, quite the story, but I'm, I'm assuming it's okay now. Yeah, yeah, I've got um, I've got passport now, so it's 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 all been sorted uh, ever since then. And actually, I think on on the second. On, the, on my second and the third time crossing the border, actually going back from Germany, a custom border officer, he said, you know what, hold on here. I'm just finishing my shift, but I'm just going to sort this out situation for you because this is not fair. Like you haven't done anything wrong. So let me just write clearance for you moving forward. And he did. And thanks God, like I was ever so grateful because it stopped after that. Was it a database, not to another database? <laughs> write them an API or something. <laughs> Perfect. Well, is there anything else you needed to do before, I guess, kind of moving to the country and getting settled? Was there anything else you needed to um, kind of work on? Or should we go to section two? So hello, welcome to section two of the podcast all about being there. So Victoria, obviously you've, touched a bit about your life in the country and your experiences with British Border Force and, um, and uh, the whole ordeal of, of obviously going through trying to get your passport eventually uh, is kind of come through. Going back to your kind of impressions of the country, uh, comparing it to, to home, what was your kind of experience of social life in the UK compared to what, what you experienced back in Russia? Obviously, you've got a lot of British friends now, so it can't be that bad, I hope. <laughs> No, it's great. Um, I actually really like it. And the, the, the main difference is Moscow is a city. Uh, it's the capital of Russia. It never sleeps. So it's a very similar experience to living in London. And now I am enjoying the countryside, um, which is like what's considered a posh countryside. So I'm in, Ro in Royal Berkshire and, you know, with... Windsor next door to me, with Henley and Thames next door to me, and all these posh events like um, Henley Regatta 
and um, Henley Festival and all this kind of things that I've never been exposed to before. And where the Moscow life is very, very busy, uh, you're constantly on the go. The first thing that I've noticed by being in the UK is the the pace. People were much slower. And I was like, I would normally do like five different things during a day. And now I can only do like three. And pubs close at like nine o'clock in the evening. And nothing is open at midnight. There is no nightclubs. And like no one is drinking until four o'clock in the morning. And I was like, what's happening? <laughs> So that took a bit of adjustment, but in Russia, we very much friendly, like friends and family orientated. So house party is a kind of common thing. And so I started being invited to some of the house parties, especially during summer barbecue. It was amazing. The one thing that I still think I cannot really adjust is the, the pop culture here in, in, in the UK. It's so it's it like it's so strong and um even though i can totally appreciate and i love the whole environment of traditional pubs i think how they've been structured how they're set up the food they offer is is definitely gives you this proper british feeling traditional uh, and i love the smell in like spe- especially like very long tra- like very old for traditional pubs but it's never been my thing, like to go and have a pint after work. And so at the beginning, when my socializing was happening after work with people, you know, after work, my colleagues, everyone is driving. So no one is really actually drinking. And then we would go for a drink, for example, for one drink after work. And people just like, they wouldn't even ask what drink I would want. They would just bring me vodka. And I'm like... This is so stereotypical. And I'm like, come on, you guys, like, can we just start educating a little bit the nation about Russian people? And like, I can drink, but that doesn't mean it's a drink of choice. So can I like have a glass of Prosecco? Or my first drink actually that I've tried in the UK was Guinness with blackcurrant. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And then I've learned it's even healthy drink. And I was like, yeah, bring it on. I mean, later on, I was told it will have about calories of a full-on steak. I was like, oh, yeah, no wonder. I'm, I never feel hungry after that. But yeah, I um, I absolutely love Guinness. Uh, and I absolutely love um, cider because uh, cider actually started being imported in, uh, in Moscow very, very late. So I've only tried it for the first time, maybe like two years be- before I actually uh, left Moscow. And we had this really cool Irish pub in Moscow called uh, Silvers. And everyone would go there. And that's the only place there um, where we would drink Guinness and we would have proper cider. But we'll never had the variety of the ciders there in the UK we have. So I would only try a very classic apple cider. But now you have fruity, you have pear, you have all sorts. So that was uh, that was really great. And oh my god, you know, people say Russian drinks, British people drink. Oh my god, they can drink. <laughs> we can, just maybe not spirits. I think British people could drink pints. And students, students, British students can drink, and British people in Spain can drink. Yeah, so like that drinking culture, I guess. Uh, I didn't miss out for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're right. We we do go for for one or two pints at the work in the pub, and you know it's very normal to stop after one. Um, when I was in Sweden, it was similar to what you were saying. It's not very common at all just to go for a drink after after doing something, and that's one thing I missed when I was in Sweden was like the the pub culture of just meeting people in a pub, having a pint after work, and going home again. I did find some people to do that with, but they weren't Swedish, so. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I think it's also like in Moscow it's different working hours. We would start later and we would finish later, but of course you still have to acquire for the traveling time. And my traveling time would be at least an hour on a tube plus the walk from door to door. Whereas in the UK, when I was based in Maidenhead and I was working for Rank, I would walk for thirty minutes and I absolutely loved it. 
especially now, obviously, we're recording podcasting, you know, uh, in November and it's getting nice and crispy outside. And people are like, Victoria, you can't go for a walk. I was like, I love it. Like, providing it's not, it's not raining, I love it. But I do miss snow, like, big time. I really do. So the plan for upcoming few months is hopefully get the car and maybe drive up to Scotland because I've heard it's beautiful when it's snowing. Yes, you might get stuck in some places. The roads aren't exactly perfect in parts, but make sure you plan where you're going to drive. Well, maybe I'll come back for another podcast with recommendations. On on in terms of like buying a car, then what? How's your experience been of that compared to Russia? Obviously, did you did you have a car when you lived in Moscow, or did you not need one? No. So my mum had a car in Moscow, uh, and we kind of shared, but it's busy. The traffic is worse than in London. And Moscow has got a central system where you have a red square in the middle and all the roads coming in and out. It's only lately where additional, what we call a circle road has been built. But essentially, if everyone is going into the city center, because that's where majority of offices are, this is that you, you kind of get stuck and the traffic is two hours or longer. I was always very happy with tube. Uh, and I drove in Russia sometimes. Uh, the Russian girls on Russian roads are not the safest uh, drivers. Is there a reason for that? <laughs> At that time, when I decided to get my driving license, I obviously studied the test and theory, but I didn't necessarily have to drive in order to get the driving license. So I kind of got my driving license first, and then I started practicing driving. Whereas in the UK, unfortunately, I had to redo the whole thing again so you guys are safe now i can drive how did you find that then doing uh the uk driving license it was interesting i I think the first thing that puzzled me was the hazard test i just didn't really understand the whole thinking behind it and so i failed the first time i was like come on this person is like poking their nose they're not crossing the zebra crossing seriously like surely i can drive but yeah no uh, it was good. I think because I had a quite long break between driving and not driving, I got used to driving on a completely different side of the road with the wheel being positioned on a different side as well. And I just done the driving on automatic. I haven't been driving manual ever. So my mom had automatic car and I find it very stressful to change the gear. So I was like, no, automatic. And now, like, you know, everyone is driving an electric car, so even easier for me. So it's automatic as default. But yeah, um, no, it was really good. I had a really good instructor. He was very patient uh, with me. And I passed my driving test from the first time. And then I just started very slow. You know, I just I just had, like, straight roads uh, from home to work and back. And then eventually I started expanding uh, more and more and more. And I think it's only, like, with Polsta when I actually started driving properly and going to Oxford and Vista and going to Scotland and I had friends in Manchester and Liverpool and in Devon and all of a sudden I was like wow this is so much freedom but there is also so much to see and I haven't seen much of the UK at all um, in time I've been here and in the past three years I started exploring it and it's such a beautiful country such a amazing and different and it just puzzles me how one island not particularly big you know compared to Russia for example but it has got so much character you know Scotland you have mountains you can even go skiing there you know and it's only like six hours away you can drive from me to Scotland in six hours it's like nothing in 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 Russia if you want to go to the closest seashore from Moscow, that will take you two and a half days. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. So it's, it's, it used to be quite common uh, to take a car and go to Sochi, but that's two and a half days driving. Uh, you know, I used to go to my grandma every every summer because the the school's uh, holidays in, in Russia, they're three months. They start in May and then you come back to school on the 1st of September. And so a lot of People who live in Moscow, they would have their siblings and their family scattered around Russia. And it was quite common for 
children to be sent to their grandmas. And my grandma used to live beyond the Ural Mountains, and it would take me eight hours on a plane to get there. Oh, wow. That's like, yeah, same as, I guess, flying to the States from here. So Yeah, exactly. What a significant distance. So for me, just not that I do it on a daily basis, but just the feeling of having a beach. I mean, my closest beach is about an hour and a half uh, away. I go to Chichester. I absolutely love it. It's Pimble Beach, but for me, it's absolutely fine. And then you go to Devon, that's like, which is one of the most beautiful beaches in the world. And that's five hours away. And then five hours different direction and you are in the mountains. So in, in that way, I feel very privileged, you know, to now being a citizen of the United Kingdom. I mean, the best beach in the country is Formby, just saying. Okay. Is this where your mum lives? It's where I grew up. Yeah. Oh, there you are. <laughs> yeah, I spent my well, my parents still live there. But during COVID, I actually moved back home for the initial three weeks, three months in the end, uh, because I had a flat with no outdoor space, and my parents had the garden and lived a one kilometer walk from the beach, which is full of sand and it's very nice, um, and it's not far from Liverpool. So. Amazing. Yeah, well, I should, I should, de- I should definitely visit. Like, there are still so many places I haven't been to yet. Yeah, well, on that, what, what's your, what's your favorite part of the UK you've been to so far, or is it too hard to say? I think I still love Devon a lot. Uh, I've been very fortunate to explore South Devon. Um, we used to go there every year. We actually used to have an apartment in Devon. It's yeah. It's just beautiful, and as as soon as you can find a little private beach that you know not everyone can go to, the sea just makes everything better. I mean, I don't really know how more to describe it, but in in addition to it, in in not far from Dartmouth, uh, in uh, I think Kingsbridge or Kingsway, I think uh, might might get really wrong, but there is a a house that Agatha Christie used to live in. Summer residence of Agatha Christie, and it's my favorite author. And again, you know, being next, it like it's a bit romantic, but being next to the place where one of my favorite ever authors used to live, uh, just made that whole part of the UK very much special. Yeah, can you stay in that? Is it a hotel that I believe? No, I, I, I think it belongs to National Trust, so you can go and visit. Maybe that's it. I don't, so Bath must be a, a place of yours which, are, which you like a lot, because obviously a lot of Agatha Christie's there as well. I'm not sure, but it's beautiful because of the Romans and the history there, and obviously like the whole the, the, the spring architecture um, and how it's been structured, that it's just fascinating. Plus I have... Uh, one of my best friends in Bristol. So for us, it's like a midpoint. Yeah, Bristol's also good fun. I guess there's so many good... Uh, every city, as you said earlier on, like, has its own kind of uh, uniqueness. Yeah, as well as accent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, how was that for you? Because obviously you learn... You went to, we were in Leeds, right? So the Yorkshire accent. What was that? Because that's not your typical English accent in Yorkshire. So. That was a, an interesting experience. I... Uh, I remember it was my third day uh, at school and I was in the classroom. I had like elementary level or something. And my teacher had a very, very strong accent. But at that point, I didn't know, like I didn't realize that, you know, there is this thing as accents. And on the third day, I, I literally had to stand up and, I'm, and I said, I'm really, really sorry. But I'm paying so much money for this course and I cannot understand a single word. <laughs> and then he, he he responded in a very, very good way and he transitioned to more visual teaching rather than verbal. So <laughs> that was good. I mean, RP is obviously received pronunciation, which most people think of you think of, of English, is like the, the Queen's English or BBC English. But a lot of people who aren't from the UK will tend to learn like American English because the media is so much um, also widely cast around the world from American movies or TV or popular culture um, that as a British person, it annoys me when people speak in American English or write or, uh, you know, write in American English. It's like, no, it's not right. It's, it's wrong. But 
I'm also I don't mind. Um, it's more of a uh, a little kind of joke we have with the, with Americans from being from British uh, from England. Sorry, in terms of uh, just tell them it's wrong. Really, it's 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 good fun. Yeah, it's interesting talking about accents because naturally, when this conversation starts between me and native English speaker, they would say, "Well, how about Russia? Are there accents in Russia?" And in my opinion, there isn't. There isn't accent in Russia. There, there is a little bit, but anyone who speaks Russian, no matter if they're from Russia or from, from Ukraine or from Estonia or you know, ex-USSR countries where Russian was still taught and people used to speak as part of their bringing, you still can understand people. Sometimes you can hear a little bit of a twang, so people would understand, for example, that I am from Moscow rather than outside Moscow. But you can always, always understand Russian language, no matter where this person came from. We do, however, have different dialects because Russia has got republics. So even though it's one big country, it has got their local uh, kind of states in a very similar, like America has got. And so within those republic areas or little states, there there is sometimes a different language. And people would operate that language in Russian. But you can always understand. So I've never never been in a situation like you can end up in the UK where you speak to Scottish person and you're like, eh, uh, can you repeat again? <laughs> Which I find fascinating. Um, and I spoke to a lot of people just trying to understand where this is coming from. And apparently it's because uh, different parts of the UK have been occupied with uh, different cultures a long time ago. And so somehow it's all been mixed up and developed this thing you guys call accent. Yeah, well, obviously the Scots, like Viking settlements, aren't they? Uh, and Celtic. And then Liverpool, I don't know, it's quite a melting pot of European cultures. Um, a lot of Irish came and settled in Liverpool. So it might give the accent Liverpool has, which I don't really have which is quite useful i suppose but i can turn it on if i have to in an argument <laughs> it's quite useful um but yeah you're right i think it must it must be based on you know yeah who settled there or various um historical events which is quite because i guess yeah a lot of europe kind of doesn't i don't know about accents in europe either i guess it's different dialects you said like spain's full of different kingdoms so the different languages in spain are probably because of that as well so yeah it's really i guess germany is a set of kingdoms as well like saxony and uh like because people from cologne speak a different language apparently according to the germans yeah but i i think uh most of the time it's um it's not necessarily the language uh based on what i know it's it's more kind of slang that you use so like i guess it's partially dialects i don't know we're gonna to have to research it right so yes <laughs> we'll come back to that one well if someone knows please let us know uh the the history uh, of the languages and how they or i'll watch a youtube video about it um is there anything else you uh i've noticed since living in the uk compared to russia that's different like i suppose um like eating cultures or working cultures yeah there is a lot of differences uh i i, I think i think it's quite fascinating because the cultures are different, but people are the same in a way. Um, they just speak different language. In in Russia, the working culture is much more dictatorship, I'd say. And you constantly feel unsafe and insecure in your position because as an employer, you're not protected really at all. Uh, and so if your boss, you know, in the, in the kind of bad mood, they can come over and say, you're fired and you're gone. There is nothing really you can do. And so in that perspective, it's a little bit challenging. Um, I think it's changing now in a little bit more positive way, but that was kind of my experience. And what I really like in the UK is how this country allow people who are willing to do freelance work or set up their business, for example, it's, it's possible. Um, yes, of course, like you still have to work hard and everything. Um, and, you know, if tomorrow there is no income, there is no income and no business. But the the process is clearer. Um, I remember Minadora was uh, mentioning in the podcast with you that when she came 
here's a contract she had to set up a limited company and now she can use umbrella but at least you can do it you know there are options you're not you're not stuck in in russia it's pretty much impossible if you don't have the right network if you don't know the right people or you don't have enough money don't even try um and i think that was the first thing it's for me life here is better of course i miss russia and it's still my it's still the country where i was born and i love it for its architecture and different cultural things and how resilient the people who are born and raised in in russia sometimes not for the best reasons but i found british people much more accepting i never felt like i had to make friends with my boss in order to stay at job i always felt i just need to work hard i just need to do my job and i need to be good at it and so for the first time ever being in the uk i felt like if i really learn something if i know how to do things i can do it i can do it well and i will be appreciated for it in russia i always thought like okay how can i cheat <laughs> like how can i how can i find a way around it's it's never it, it's it's never been um for for me at least i never had an experience like you know if you do something well that will promise you the success but i think that kind of taught me different type of skills you know i i'm a i'm a very good solution finder because i have a very good critical thinking it's like okay this not this is not working what else can we try logical brain yeah yeah um and uk changed me a lot in a very positive way i smile uh, more i am more accepting um of people i'm more understanding i'm more positive um and every time i would go and visit moscow for for me it's a very depressing city nowadays uh again for different reasons but one of the examples last time i went to moscow to see my friends uh, i was kind of like the girls you re- reunion and we were at the restaurant and we had uh brunch served to us and i said to the waiter thank you very much this this looks amazing how are you doing today and he's like what have i done wrong i was like nothing not, nothing uh being polite yeah it's just just giving this a little bit of a more appreciation to the person they just don't they just don't expect it and they straight away they feel like they've done something wrong and you've just been genuine and you've been nice but i love this in the uk i would not change it for the world because it doesn't cost you anything being nice and polite to people but for them you know it might brighten their day <laughs> and i really like it no it's a good it's a good way of looking or out, outlook on life is to always try and be say thank you as much as can i think that's there's a point where people think that it's silly saying it all the time, but you never know who's hearing it and it might make their day. So if you said it for the hundredth time, they might have heard it for the first time that day. So you've got to, it's the empathy you kind of gain from it, I guess. There's one thing which, yeah, the UK is pretty good at. Wonderful. Is there anything else you want to talk about, about being in the country before we go on to the next section? I think you guys are touching a lot on the food topic. Um, and <laughs> there is there is one thing that people find incredibly strange about me. Um, in in Russia, we have lots of rivers, and so river fish or freshwater fish is very popular for us. And um, we salt it and we dry it, and it becomes uh, a snack. Um, so normally, if you come to a pub in the uk and you see people with fish and chips uh and maybe a steak or something and the pines in russia you quite often will find people with dry fish which i think yeah exactly um and i really miss it um and of course like everyone can say oh just go and order it on ebay and everything but the 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 beauty (laughs) is you need to find a really good quality dry fish. You you need to smell it and you need to touch it because if it's too dry, you can't really eat it. If it's not dry enough, there is a risk of being of this fish being parasite. And 
if if you are able to examine the fish, you can also find caviar in some of them. And oh my god, that's completely different, delicious snack. Um, so yeah, every time people hear that story from me, they're like, okay, if you're gonna eat this, don't come close to us. Because <laughs> um, I I didn't have a single British friend that I would offer to try the fish and they would love it. They're like, no, thank you. No, 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 no. But I guess like maybe you had a similar experience with um, salted uh, licorice in, in Sweden. Yes, and they also have rotten herring or fermented, fermented sil, but I don't eat fish, so I get to avoid that one. Um, but the licorice, yes, I'm not a fan of licorice at all, but it's it's very, very popular. It's popular in Germany as well, which I find odd. Um, I think, yeah, like the salty fish, uh, it's uh, licorice, like a children's snack. And yeah, I, yeah, it's not, and Denmark as well, it's mainly Northern European countries uh, do seem to enjoy licorice root or licorice in general, which I think it's like Marmite here. Uh, either love it or you hate it. Mm. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Sorry. Yeah, that's not that's why not for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not a Marmite fan either. Um, no, there's better things you can use yeast for, like beer. So wonderful. Um, if that's everything for section two, then we can go into section three. Yeah, let's do it. So welcome back to section three of the podcast, all about the review of your time. I still haven't named it, but it really annoyed at me for not naming the section, but essentially it's a review of your time. There's nothing that's very catchy that works, like the other two I feel have a better title. But anyway, enough on that, it's my own admin. Um, what would be, if, if you could go back to uh, your younger self before you moved to the UK, is there anything you would like to t- uh, give advice to yourself or you know share some insight? from what you know now i think the best thing that i've been able to prove to myself and the best insight i would give to anyone who is willing to move to another country is first of all keep believing in yourself you you can do it and never ever doubt yourself or think that you are worse than the other people because you're taking this massive step not not everyone can even try to make that and you're already on its way and just do it just be confident um one of one of my things when i wasn't able to find a job for quite a long time in the uk i was so frustrated and i was willing to basically accept any job i started going to local pubs and saying like can i be uh, you know can i work behind the bar and at that time my ex-husband said no you're better than that. Let's keep let's keep doing that. We'll support you. But you know what you what's your worth. So let's do it. And we did. And we carried on and I carried on. And I think that was one of the best decisions I've been able to make is not to give up too early. So yeah, don't give up too early. Just keep on going. It's that old um expression of the people who are like mining for for gold, they give up when they're the closest from it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that that there is a really good picture in the and uh, a meme I think where two uh, mining kind of people are shown on the picture, and one is so close and giving up, and the other one's like keep on going. So yeah, keep on going. Like you you've you've made you've made a decision. Uh, you are uh, on on your way, and tr- trust it. No, that's great, great advice, and. Uh, one that I am following, hopefully following as well, because uh, uh, yeah, I have ambitions which uh, hopefully will come to fruition in the future. Um, yeah, manifesting is what my girlfriend tells me to keep doing, and uh, I, I do. Uh, hopefully it works. <laughs> if it doesn't, then oh well. I've still uh, I'll have enjoyed the, the journey. Is there any advice you would give to someone who wanted to move to the UK specifically? I would probably say grass not always greener. Uh, and so if you are moving to the UK or to any other country, just be very clear why you're doing it. 
I have got lots of friends who are also expats in different countries and I hear a lot of stories where they socialize with only, you know, expats like them. And whereas it's absolutely fine, that's everyone's choice. And if this is what you feel comfortable with, that's absolutely okay. But the the downside of this is they're constantly feeling homesick. And I just feel like that feeling prevents you from achieving as much as you can. I mean, you move to this country. I would recommend everyone to just try and understand the people you're living with now. Um to understand their cultural differences, to explore, to just dive into it because this potentially will be your new home and these people will be your family. And why do you not want to know them? Uh, why do you not want to get closer to them and understand why they they are the way they are? Um, a lot of people are moving thinking, you know, like work is better, but work is tough everywhere life is better no life is tough as like everywhere um for me now uk is the home but like i said my best friends are british i have international friends as well but only now uh at the very beginning i was i was trying to i i really wanted to be accepted and actually when my ex and i have separated uh it was like beginning of the covid um and i had my birthday as newly being single <laughs> and i and it was such a tough time um because covid was mum uh, or dad none of my friends were able to come around so i was totally on my own and actually paul star was in- incredibly supportive at that point which is another thing that I'm so grateful for. You know, they just corporate culture in the UK. They they have this empathy to their employees. And I had my um, my first birthday, and I was surrounded by British girls, and I cried because that was the first time when I knew I was accepted for who I am, not because I was a wife of a British person and that just meant the world to me and now I'm never afraid of you know being on my own because I know that I'm not I'm you know I'm part I'm part of uh, British uh, culture and British people that's how I see myself of course but you know <laughs> people might be of different opinions but 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 it's what being British is I think I think um you know we are a country built on you know the NHS has got a lot of immigrants working in it which is the one of the pillars of being british and um because of colonization all the years ago we got a lot of uh, immigration in this country because we spread the word that britain's amazing come 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 live here or look how great we are and then they get confused when people do come and visit or i want to stay and get a job because you told us how great it was you know you call yourself great britain uh, not many other countries give themselves a uh, a prefix like that so and you know it's it's you look at all the big cities in the uk they're all multicultural they're all diverse but they're all incredible because of those reasons um yeah i was very lucky to go in liverpool which is quite a multicultural city uh you get a lot of influence from all over the world being there same in london and um, you know manchester and everywhere else um it's because people have come and shared their knowledge or shared their cultures that we all grow and develop and um, you know, fundamentally, a lot of it's based on socialising, eating and drinking. Um, most cultures in the world are over those three things. Um, what you drink might change, whether it's coffee or alcohol or tea. But, you know, the whole point, the whole kind of social aspect of life is is a shared human need. And it's great to see how other cultures do it and kind of grow from there. And, you know, we have so many great subcultures now in the uk because of that and similarly when i was in sweden there was a lot of subculture there as well um parkrun was a thing in in the UK, in sweden which is a quite a british thing and a lot of british people were doing it but it's a good point for me to go for a run and do a 5k on a saturday i really really enjoyed that thing as well yeah absolutely you you're absolutely right and 
who are the best people to ask about, you know, where to go and what to explore than the local people, you know, that's why every, like personally, every time I go on holiday, I try to start talking to uh, people at the bar or restaurant, uh, you know, people who are serving me because they know. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very good tip. If you can befriend them, you will know all the best places that no one will ever talk about. And they will even give you a tip, like go and ask Marcos in, uh, you know, um, in the restaurant next door and he will give you the best Negroni you've ever tried. You know, that kind <laughs> of style. So, yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's my biggest thing is do try, when you move to another country, make sure you are very clear on your objectives for the move. So then no regrets no false expectations are uh, left behind and do try to socialize with uh, local people and people from that particular country. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good good point and hope, hopefully the locals will socialize back with you. Well, why not? You know, if, if, you, if you are honest and genuine, I'm, I'm pretty sure they, they, they will. Or maybe I wasn't honest in Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> No, you, I did. I, know, I did make some Swedish friends. I, I, I do joke about. I, some of my good friends are Swedish. Um, but it did take some time just to break through the the kind of barriers. Whereas I think British people will be your friends first, and then then back off. Whereas Swedes will back off, back off, and then be your friend. Um, yeah, but that that's part of the culture. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't you don't let everyone through your house door. You maybe first get them to the kitchen only, and then offer them the coffee, and then maybe after few more times there is a barbecue together it's a very good point <laughs> what are your future plans do you want to stay living in the uk do you want to keep going live somewhere else do you have any kind of ideas of of what the future holds or is it completely open door i mean never stay never <laughs> um but i don't think i can do another move um i am i'm settled I have a man in my life that makes me very happy now and I am finally feeling like I'm living my life. I'm allowing myself to go out and do things and explore and every single day is a learning. So the future plans is just to enjoy myself a little bit. Um, I'm learning and developing myself from the professional uh, perspective so you know that i only only just came back from the web summit which i absolutely love it's definitely my crowd um but yeah i you know three years ago i had a very solid plan that didn't work out and it was a pivotal moment in my life from a very positive perspective i will never change anything uh, I would never want to change anything. I accept the past as a past. It makes us who we are. And I'm grateful for whatever experience. I wouldn't want to repeat that story. So I am settled in the UK. I might move to a different, you know, uh, county. Um, but no, I, I really, I really like it here. Uh, I, I just wish maybe, you know, summer lasted to be longer, but don't we all? <laughs> um, no, I, 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 yeah, I am settled currently. I don't have plan to move anywhere else. Uh, I'm very happy. Um, I'm happy where I am with career. I know what I would specialize in. I'm investing more into psychology now because I feel like it's a, uh, it's a good field to be mixed up with marketing. So now I have analytical perspective from programming backgrounds. I have marketing perspective from 12 years of experience. And now I'm turning a little bit towards the psychology. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to see what the future holds. And well, That's incredible. And I'm sure you'll achieve everything you want to achieve because uh, you've already achieved so much so far. So, I mean... The matter what else do. Thank you. That's that's very kind. <laughs> Thank you. Wonderful. Um, if there's nothing more to add, then 
thank you for agreeing to be my guest and thank you for uh spending your evening talking with me about your past 10 years of living in the uk it can't be easy obviously it's not all positive it's it's a mixture of emotions throughout the entire journey and uh it can be quite emotional to to think back through all those times but just thank you for for yeah being so honest and open and uh, i've really appreciated your time and learning a lot from you about your experiences no thank you very much james thank you very much for inviting me and spending you know your evening recording this podcast and obviously you know creating it all but i also think you're doing an amazing thing by letting people to talk through that experience because i think this information is invaluable um I'm I'm listening to your podcast and I find it fascinating the stories that people go through. I was like, oh my god, I could never imagine. So yeah, thank you very much for doing this. I know it takes uh, time and effort, but yeah, I'm seeing the bright switch for you for sure. <laughs> thank you, I appreciate it. And as always, if you did uh, get something from the podcast which you you know really enjoyed or was valuable to you please do let us know in the comments about what it was and we can yeah if you have any questions as well for victoria i could forward them on or uh you know find a way of getting them answered for you um but yeah so hopefully you're <laughs> you're listening many many times uh and if so we'll see you next time for the expat pod